So welcome once again to On the Continent with me, Dotson Adibayo. I'm Andy Brassel. I'm Lars Everton. And lots to talk about, uh, not least about Mbappe's future. Will it be Real Madrid? Will it be Liverpool? Or will it be staying at Paris Saint-Germain? Also, Luis Suarez. Well, let's talk about taking citizenship exams with him. And, of course, in Germany, there was an 8-0 drubbing of Poro Schalke from, well, guess who? You can email us at any time at otc at footballramble.com. Look forward to hearing from you. Sandy, so should we start with Mbappe then? He's got a choice, it seems to me, between a the romance of a Parisian croissant or uh, the spiciness of a Spanish paella. You see what I did there? I do see what you well, did there. And you're waiting for the last one. I, I'm, be- I'm definitely waiting <laughs> for the last one. Or does he fancy a taste of Scouse pie? <laughs> well, you know what? That very much reminds me of uh, when Cristiano Ronaldo gave a, a press conference at Euro 2008. I was there covering Portugal. And obviously everyone was asking him, was he going to leave Manchester United for, for Real Madrid? It was clear he wanted to leave Real Madrid for Manchester United. And at one the other press around, conference... It was clear that he wanted to leave Man United for Real Madrid. Oh yeah, Madrid. thanks. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> it's flashback to last week's <laughs> Luke's game. Anyway, I, I think... The interesting thing was he stood up at the the beginning of the press conference and he said, look, I'm here with my national team. I don't want to discuss anything to do with club football. And despite one English reporter standing up and going, the people have a right to know. (laughs) People were generally very respectful of that. But um, an Argentinian uh, journalist who was sat next to me was very smart. He said, uh, Cristiano, what do you prefer of an evening? Paella or fish and chips? <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he, he, was, he was a step ahead and he went bacalhau, actually, which of course can be cooked in hundreds of ways. Mm. So uh, he, was, he was on script. But this goes back to earlier in the week when on Tuesday in Le Keep, um, they outlined the possible destinations for Mbappe. And of course, there are relatively few destinations for Mbappe, particularly in a post-COVID environment, um, because you've got to match his sporting expectations and his financial expectations. He's got into the last two years of his contract at at Paris Saint-Germain. Now, them trying to extend that contract goes back to the time that Antelo Enrique was sporting director, so pre-Leonardo coming back. And it's something that apparently Leonardo feels quite self-conscious about. He feels that um, his tenure will be judged as successful failure on whether he gets to keep Mbappe. Now, from Monaco's perspective, of course, um, Paris Saint-Germain was signed, uh, Paris Saint-Germain signed him from Monaco um, back in 2017 for an initially on a loan to, you know, maybe give it, give a, a, a bit of a, a little shimmy to financial fair play. But when they ended up completing the signing, it was for 145 million euros. And Monaco get another 35 million when either he's sold or his contract is extended. So 
I think the biggest rush here is from Monaco. Of <laughs> we want our money. Just hurry up. We, we know we're going to get it. But, but uh, I, well, I, I, how I much think... money will it be, though, that he goes for? Because they're talking about a quarter of a billion. I would have thought that is beyond the imagination of any football club at the moment. Well, that depends whether it's this year or, well, it's not going to be this year. But next year, how do you think that affects it last? Well, we don't quite know. I think with. I still think for someone like Mbappe, who you can feel pretty confident is going to be right near the top of the tree for quite a long time going forward, there'll still be a club who'll find that sort of money. Because it's not like you're, it's not like bringing in Ronaldo and you know you have him for a year or two before he's old and has to go away like Juventus has done. You're going to have a guy for a long time there, and if not, you can sell him on. And it's someone who looks quite extraordinary. I think the food uh, analogy works really well there, Dalton, because I think it, Paris Saint-Germain being the sort of croissant in this, in this equation, because they are quite tasty uh, but they're kind of flaky and don't hold together that well and no one really, there's no been one, significant growth in recent years no though. one really respects them uh, <laughs> they need a little bit of jam in the middle yeah and my I think, opinion and i think the, the problem that paris saint-germain have is that it, it, it can't just be about money for mbappe right it has to be about wanting to reach the sort of pinnacle and potentially being seen as the best player in the world. And I don't think you can do that playing in Liga. I, I just don't think, in terms of the global respect, whether that's fair or not, can discuss that. I don't think it's a very bad league at all. But I don't think it's possible to, to reach the sort of pinnacle of the sport whilst playing for Paris Saint-Germain in Liga. And, and this, this links on to what we will talk, we'll be talking about in a moment or two, which is Bayern Munich, because that, that loss against Bayern Munich would have told Mbappe one thing about the team that he's currently playing for yeah and the problem is everything you do domestically people go after it's it's Liga and I think that's very unfair I think there's some very decent teams in Liga but in terms of perception if your ambition is winning the Ballon d'Or and becoming recognized I mean I think we're all expecting when the sort of era of Messi and Ronaldo sort of winds down that Mbappe will be at least one of the players who we see as you know the best in the world I'd be pretty baffled if that doesn't happen and I don't think you get to that point without leaving France I, I really don't and and I think for all the money in the world, they, they almost literally have all the money in the world per PSG. Yeah. There's, there's limitless funds there, but it's not going to help them because that's not what it's about. I think that point is absolutely right. I also think your point, Dotton, is, is, is absolutely right about the Champions League because, as Lars says, there's a limited amount of games in which Paris Saint-Germain can show this is the place to be, isn't there? Mm. And just as... You know, there are a limited amount of games in which Neymar can prove his true worth. It's almost the inverse sense with with, with Mbappe because it's like everything the club do is, is proving to Mbappe that this is the place to be. This is the place you can be the Don, the main guy. And he's been kind of posturing for this for a, for a little while because you go back, like say, just a month, for example, and he said, well, you know, we need to buy some players for the new season. And Leonardo said, well we're under the same restrictions as everyone else. We have to sell to buy. But the, Mbappe's left that hanging in the air. Mm. You know, he can kind of become this almost like LeBron James figure. It's like player and general manager <laughs> because it's like, well, okay, we're, we're either going to dance to... basketball, mate. I'm we're either, mm. either going to dance to the beat of my drum or you're going to have to get yourself a new drum. But because he can do that. He's, he's in that position of power. And I, I first interviewed him when he was at Monaco as a teenager. And the thing you notice about him straight away, he's very polite, very ambitious, but very, very smart as well. And the way he put it, he's been 
rehearsing for this since he was four years old. He knew he w- this was what he was heading for. And I strongly suspect he's one of those kids who interviewed himself in his his own room. Everyone talks about his bedroom, <laughs> which is like, I know oh, there's nothing wrong with that at Absolutely all. Not. Everyone talks about his bedroom being like plastered with Cristiano Ronaldo posters and that's why there's the Real Madrid link and all the rest of it. Um, but Real Madrid will need to prove to him that they've got a plan because he's got a career plan and he's not going to move there just because he dreamt of doing it as a kid. And maybe this is what gives Liverpool the outside chance because Mm. if I had to bet on him going somewhere, I would still say Real Madrid, A, because they're arguably the biggest club in the world, not the best team in the world, but the biggest club in the world, Um, because they can't buy him this summer because of the half billion revamp, even before COVID, the half billion revamp of, of, of the Bernabeu. But they've kept dialogue going with his family and entourage the whole time. Interestingly, so has Jurgen Klopp since, what, 2015, 2016, when he was still a kid at Monaco and he originally sounded him out about the possibility. I wonder, when you look at Liverpool with the Diogo Jota signing, in preference to, say, Timo Werner, Mm -hmm. are they looking for maybe not the current Mbappe, but the next Mbappe? Is that the way they're going to regenerate although they've not been shy of making big signings before but I do think that that there is a definite Real Madrid card marked for next summer yeah it seems that way and it's an interesting one with Liverpool and FSG because um, certainly their model has much more been to try to find the next uh, superstar now you could argue that they spent quite a bit of money on Virgil van Dijk on Alisson on this sort of thing and there was an interesting interview with with the, the the Moneyball father himself, Billy Bean, this summer, where he explained that people get this term wrong. They think it always means that you have to pay almost no money for a good player because the stats say he's good. I mean, that's not necessarily what it's about. It's about finding value. And you can have an expensive signing that is value to you because you think he's worth even more. I think the example... You, and the age comes into that, Yeah, And it? I think the, the, the example that Billy Bean used in the interview was, was Michael Jordan. Like, whatever the Bulls were paying him, he was worth a lot more. And, <laughs> and, and the, the money they were funny, paying him was... Funny you should say that because one of the classic books of economics is a book called Anarchy, State and Utopia by a guy called Robert, Robert Nozick, you know, mm. a right-wing philosopher, if you like. And his point was about... It was about Wilt the Stilts Chamberlain in those days, he was the big basketball mm. uh, player. He was the Michael Jordan of the 1960s or whatever. And he asked, uh, I think it was the Boston Celtics that he played for. If I've got that wrong, I apologize, but I think it was. And he said to them, look, you know, I want a pay rise. And they said to him, look, if you want a pay rise, you know, you've got to essentially prove that you're worth more than we're paying you. And they said, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll stick the extra amount of money. We'll stick an extra 10 cents on every ticket. And if the fans vote with their feet, you get the pay rise. You know, if they think you're worth it, you get the pay rise. And he got the pay rise. Yeah. And I, and I, that's what I'm saying. I'm not ruling out the possibility of Liverpool and FSG and the value and the data people and all that spending a huge amount of money on Mbappe. I think that you could make a case that spending a ton of money on him is, is good business. It just irrationally feels like more of a Real Madrid move. And for a club who see themselves as the biggest club in the world and have some claim to that throne. Who, Lars, yeah. do you think post-Cristiano they're craving 
a superstar and a forward yeah. superstar more than ever. That is very much what I was building towards. I mean, we almost take it for granted. We've had this long period now of the sort of two recognised two best players in the world being the sort of bannermen for Barcelona and Real Madrid. And, and even though they won the league last season, there is a there is a bit of a, of a hole there in, in Real Madrid after Cristiano's left. Uh, Bale was nowhere near filling it uh, in the season where he had a chance to do that. Um, uh, as much as I like him, Martin Odegaard's not going to do that. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they have some really good young players there. And actually, it's a fun exercise going through a Real Madrid squad and look at all the guys they have who are sort of between 19, 20, 21, 22. You see the sort of the beginnings of a potentially really great Real Madrid team there, but they don't have the sort of the, the banner man, the guy who's going to, you know, lead the charge for the next decade almost. And you can imagine Mbappe fitting into that slot very effortlessly. Zidane's plucky underdogs at the moment. I like it. <laughs> I didn't even get That's exactly what I meant. <laughs> I, I didn't even get a pat on my back for the uh, the right wing philosopher that I brought into the conversation. Not one single big up, big up. Well done for recollecting that after thirty years of not studying at all. Anyway, moving swiftly. I, on. I would have patted you on the back, but social I mean, distancing on the and subject, all that. Effortless, brilliant, Dalton. I mean, we don't. We just on, expect this from yeah, you. Exactly. Thank you very it's much. The old Balotelli that. thing when the mailman <laughs> delivers the mail. Thanks for doesn't that. celebrate. Why always me? Why always me? Avec euh, Hernandez qui centre bien, qui centre bien, ça a été contre dans les moments. Et Mbappé qui accélère! Et Mbappé qui accélère! Et qui lâche ce ballon entre les jambes de notre ami Armani. Et bon. So let's move on to another subject, which I'm sure Liverpool fans once again will be interested in. Luis Suarez and his um, his move to Atletico Madrid has been somewhat dramatic, to say the least. It's it's really fascinating because it's it's an ongoing theme near the top end of European club football this summer is that the clubs who have sat on old people on big contracts and people they don't really fancy on big contracts they're just desperate to get them off the wage bill because the COVID and everything and and never no place is this more true than at Barcelona where they looked at it and thought they have the biggest wage bill in world football and this this can't continue and one of the things they decided to, to modernise the squad is that they needed to, to Suarez was one of the people who needed to go and I think as good as he is there's a reasonable case to be made for that Sir was that decision made before Ronald Koeman came in or not? I think it was made after, but I suspect it would have been made regardless of who was put in charge, because I think you need to do something with that wage bill, and the squad needs to get younger, and you need more mobility around Messi. And that's much Messi loves playing with Suarez. I think it's a problem for a team who wants to like press high, or they have an almost ideological requirement to press high and play the sort of, uh, excuse me, Barcelona way. And I think that becomes a problem when one of your attackers is Messi, who doesn't work a lot off the ball, and another one is Suarez, who can't really run that much off the ball either. It leaves an awful lot of work for the third one to do. I don't know if you're going to get like Jamie Mackey in there or whatever you're going to do. It's, it's, I, it doesn't. The third one needs to be, you know, the second. Yeah, it doesn't work. So, so rejuvenating that forward line, it does make a lot of sense. Getting him off the wage bill makes a lot of sense. They were prepared to find some sort of resolution in which they paid up part of his contract. I mean, one solution that was mooted was that he could go as a free agent, and Barcelona would cover the difference between one he what he ends up making and what he would have made if he stayed. I mean, these sort of solutions were 
uh, were bandied around and he was going to go as a free agent and that even uh, according to a very exo- a very good report by Sid Lowe in The Guardian they'd even stipulated a couple of clubs they didn't want him to go for, for two he could go as a free agent but he couldn't go to Real Madrid he couldn't go to Paris Saint-Germain he couldn't go to Man City that sort of thing was one name they hadn't put on that list. <laughs> so just before he was going to leave, uh, it leaked that he was going to sign for Atletico Madrid. And Barcelona went, hang on, that's that's not what we had in mind. <laughs> that's not what we wanted. Can we think, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a club here. A club yes, that maybe yes. came to our stadium and won the title from us on the final day of the season. Can't remember their names, though. I mean, it's, have we, it's extraordinary. Have we, let, have we let another experienced striker go before? <laughs> <laughs> to another club in Spain, five point five million. <laughs> you could get you could get fifty Suarezes for one Mbappe, allegedly. <laughs> yeah, so they end up reaching an agreement anyway because well, the the proposed move to Juventus didn't work out. Uh, he they had already signed the maximum number of uh, non EU passport holders for this summer mm. in Arthur and Weston McKenney. Uh, so he needed to get his Italian passport, and uh, that hasn't gone quite to plan. <laughs> <laughs> How's no, it, Andy? <laughs> no, no it's, it's not. And it's interesting on the cover of uh, La Gazzetta della Sport today, they're obviously still talking about the um, exam fixing scandal. And, um, have, have they got a name for it yet? A gate name, you know, Scandal Gate. There probably is. There should be. Suarez Gate. Can we hashtag that? I think that's been done before. Several times. <laughs> <laughs> there are lots of different Suarez gates, I believe. But, but um, I, I think it's the, the, the issue is bigger than him and it's the, bigger than this particular transaction. Although, interestingly, because the, there is a wiretap, um, it's, it's been said on the Gazzetta della there Sport really is today. A yeah, there's genuinely a wiretap. Literally, there's always but a wiretap. Wow. It, 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 apparently. According to the report in uh, La Gazzetta, it says um, that Fabio Paratici, who's the sporting director of Juventus, his name comes up on one of the wiretaps. I know what you're thinking. Very unusual for Juventus to be caught up in a wiretap situation. But you don't, you just don't uh, it, see that. It doesn't, I know. Yeah. This uh, is irony, folks. <laughs> it, it's... Yeah, it seems like Suarez is not going to be punished for this anyway. We'll have he's to, also we'll not have going to go to Juventus. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be punished for a lot of other things during this coming season, I'm, I'm sure. But they'll, t- they'll, they'll be on the pitch. I mean, what's, what's interesting to me is the fact that the reaction after Atletico were knocked out in the Champions League semi-final and after they won at Liverpool, everyone thought it's a game changer. You know, this is old Atletico. It mm. proves it can be done Simeone's way. And really, they didn't take the initiative enough in that quarterfinal with Leipzig in, in Lisbon. And a lot of people thought it should be their chance to win the Champions League with the big teams that were out, like Real Madrid uh, and, and, and Juventus. Um, and so there were questions about Simeone again and his philosophy. And his answer to that has not just been, okay, well, I respectfully take your points about my philosophy maybe doing with a bit of evolution. Maybe my team could play a bit more football. He's taking that. Not only am I not going to take your point on board, <laughs> I'm going to double down and get the most Atletico-type players that I can. Having said that, Suarez might be a dog of war. He's still incredibly gifted. Last touched on it mm. in that he can't do the running anymore. And that's why him and Neymar were so vital to Messi and arguably helped extend Messi's top-level career by doing his running for him. But Suarez can do a lot. And also, 
Atletico are not a counter-attack team. They defend a lot. That doesn't mean they're a counter-attack team. They play very, very slow football for the modern game. And that idea of just digging in, that extra bit of technical excellence, I mean, he still goes along at almost a goal a game. You know, we can't Mm. overlook that, Mm. even in his apparent state of physical disrepair. I I don't think I'm alone in thinking he could be the player that wins the league for Atletico this season, particularly in a campaign in which Real Madrid are kind of treading water a little bit and you don't really see where they're going. A lot rests on Azar. And Barcelona are, well, a mess. Yeah, no, I think it it can be very simplistic in the end that for a team that doesn't create as many chances as other top teams do, it becomes really important to have a striker who with a very high conversion rate, someone who is a reliable finisher. And I feel like we almost... We almost don't talk enough about what a complete misfire bringing Diego Costa back has been. I mean, you have to say that at this point. He hasn't, it's been... Why? For, Why has for, that been? That's he surprising. Because he hasn't scored goals for them and he's been injured a lot and he just hasn't contributed. Well, what's the reason? Oh, what, the injuries? Well, physically he's not there and he looks he looks like he's lost a bit of mobility. He, he's not as strong in the challenge as he used to be. And just for the money they spent bringing him back yeah. for a team like Atleti who can't afford to, to, to throw money away like that, it's been a significant failure. And I do think... Suarez could perhaps add a lot of what they were hoping Costa Costa would add when he came back. Now let me a, a, bit, a bit of bite. Sorry, go going forward, but also <laughs> someone who can can be a reliable finisher and someone who can be a good sort of counterpoint to Juan Felix. You know, he has very very different qualities, but you can definitely see them two striking up a sort of odd couple uh, dynamic going forward. I, I'm really into that. Absolutely, and everyone, you're right, is obsessed with the Diego Costa. Luis Suarez levels of shithousery. <laughs> but the fact is, it's not real Diego Costa anymore, is no, it? No, he's not. And if they can get rid of him, now, I know you're going to like this bit, Lars. If they can get rid of him, of course, they were speaking to Edinson Cavani yes. in parallel to Luis Suarez. Finally. <laughs> There's your veteran strike partnership. Yes, because Cavani, I think, can still do quite a lot of the running. Uh, yeah, he can. For, he's, he's in very, very good nick. He hasn't had... A, a big injury record. Just to just very quickly got the because I say, when you say A, you should say B. I should for Dalton. I mean Diego Costa since he came back. I mean in his first season back at Atletico, he scored three goals in thirteen starts. Then he scored two goals in fourteen starts. And last season he scored five goals in fourteen starts and nine off the bench. Like this is not for a team that's looking to win La Liga and who has spent quite a lot of money bringing this guy back, you know, he's injured literally half the time and he doesn't score goals when he's fit. Like, uh, you, this isn't good enough. And to think that people have been giving Alvaro Morata shit for his goal-scoring record this week <laughs> while Costa sits there in his castle cackling. I do think they're just afraid of giving Costa shit for anything. I mean, <laughs> yeah, probably. Just, I wonder when, like, so come sort of October, November, when Suarez's Italian passport turns up in the mail... He's like, what do I need this for now? (laughs) That was a a waste of time. (laughs) I suppose it could come in handy at some point. Yeah, it could come in handy. You never know, for Suarez. Um, There was no idea that he would return to Liverpool. He can't go back to Liverpool, can he? There's no way. There's no way. No, no, I I don't think... Going back back to what we were saying stylistically, uh, even without the stuff, Mm. I I think the way that Liverpool play, it it just doesn't have the mobility for that anymore. Like, Like I said, Atletico, maybe not such an issue and he, he, in terms of his technical quality there's no doubt I, I know speed is everything in football uh, at least it's yeah, 95% or whatever it might be 
but when you lose your speed, you adapt your game, don't you? That, that's the classic sort of modus operandi. But why hasn't or hasn't some do, Luis some Suarez... don't? And I think it depends on your role on the on the pitch. I mean, if your team press presses high and want to move up the pitch and win the ball high up the pitch, you have to have a forward line who can run. Like there's no, you can't get away from that. There's no. You know, without wanting to take it off the continent, because that would be off-brand, but I mean, a lot of the stick that Patrick Bamford gets, we can sneak in some Bielsa chat, that's all right. A lot of the stick Patrick Bamford gets for not scoring enough goals for Leeds, I think is completely misguided, because you can get goals from your wingers, you can get goals from your midfielders. You know what? There's no one who can do that running for him that he needs to do up front. Mm. Um, So... Do you need to do that much running up front there? I mean, if you're a centre-forward, you don't need to do much running. It's if you do, if, you need to press the centre-half so they can't build up, and it's it's all about winning the ball high up the pitch and all this sort of stuff. So, basically, we're just going backwards and saying the departure of Neymar not only really upset Messi, it absolutely killed Suarez as well. Puede armar el disparo, se le echó encima Baba. Rápida la pared con Sergio Busquets, una más imposible. Esta para el Once upon a time, Suarez was being touted as a possible transfer target for uh, for Bayern Munich, wasn't he? At one point, I could I could imagine that actually. Prime Luis Suarez at, yeah, yeah. at, at Bayern Munich, I could I could definitely imagine that. I mean, at the moment, like. They don't they've, need got, they've got everything you want. <laughs> exactly. Like some sort of hyper-aggressive Roy Mackay. <laughs> <laughs> I can they see that working. Him. They don't need him. They don't need Mbappe, the world's most gifted player, quote-unquote. Um, they don't need anything, do they? Not if they're winning 8-0, Lash. That wasn't a, a scoreline that Schalke will ever want to revisit, obviously. No, and I, I wonder, we're going to talk about Schalke, but I wonder, watching the second half of that, there was a sense of the players going, oh, sod this, like, what's the point? I mean, and I think that there will be some teams who come up against Bayern when they're in this kind of mood, and you can see it a couple of goals early, and you know just the rest, the next sort of 70 minutes of your life as a professional, there, there's no point to it. Like, you're not going to overturn this. You're going to be made to look stupid, and whether it's 4-0 or 8-0, whatever. I mean, this is almost where we are with, with Bayern now. They're so good when they're on song. Uh, and I think, you know, with with apologies to sort of Mbappe, Neymar and Di Maria, I guess, I mean, I think there's a real case to be made that that front three Bayern have probably the best in the world. I mean, I, I, I think you can make that case. Well, um, I think the thing is, Sané's actually had a pre-season, unlike mm. every other player in elite Europe. And it looked like it. I mean, he was incredible. And there's no reason to assume he won't be incredible going forward. But are you having the shortening? You know who you had, obviously, you Robbery. Gnabry, or are you, no, not new. Uh, Sanabri. Sanabri. I like Sanabri. Are you Sanabri. having that? Yeah, 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 Sanabri, I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was good. He was good. Um, he was really good. And yeah. I think he adds a bit of sort of anarchy to the team. He's a little bit sort of unstructured in his game. And I think that will have driven Guardiola mad at Man City. But quite but, unselfish but th- as well. Yeah, but mm. I just think he, he popped... He, 
he makes sort of slightly unpredictable runs and, and moves in slightly unpredictable ways. And I think that uh, I think it's very useful for a team who spends a lot of their life trying to break down low blocks in the, in, the, in the Bundesliga to have a sort of completely unpredictable and energetic guy like him there. And I think it's tremendous. You can see him fitting in immediately. Guardiola is going to be, he should be cheesed off for other reasons. You mentioned Leroy Sané there and talk about unselfish. He, he created about three of the goals. Yeah. The and, eight, didn't he? and it, it was interesting because he was a little bit con- trite at the end even though he was happy for his performance because it was an almost replica of his last performance against Schalke where he scored and got a couple of assists Um, that was when Manchester City beat Schalke 7-0 in the Champions League and then Domenico Tedesco the Schalke coach got binned what a day later Mm -hmm. Um, and you could argue um, well Schalke were digging themselves into a big hole before that but it certainly not helped them in terms of where they are at the moment. I'm not saying they should have held on to Tedesco. I mean, Lars and I were talking about him earlier. Mm. We were saying he had such an incredible first season there, getting them into the Champions League against the odds. But with the sort of football that Tedesco played, when the results dropped off, well, you, you just got nothing left. You know, you know, people, it's, it's a, simply a, results, a results-based football. And, you know, I, I think for Schalke fans, they traditionally want their team to play a little bit more front foot. I don't, I don't think they're unreasonable. Of course, they've they've not won a title since, well, they were Bayern Munich, really, since since since, since the old days. But um, they, they do expect a, a bit of daring, a bit of something else. But Schalke fans have, have been forced to completely restructure their, um, th- their hopes and their expectations of their team. Because... Everyone knows that they were affected by COVID more than most German clubs. They've had to make a lot of cuts. Um, And I think the saddest thing about this defeat at Bayern, great as Bayern were, was people will look at this and think it's a bad reflection on the Bundesliga that one big club can beat another big club 8-0. But then you have to look at Schalke in their current shape and you look at a team that's not really got any, any ambitions of even qualifying for Europe this season and is in I don't even know if you can call it a rebuild because they they haven't really got the facilities to rebuild they've got a coach in David Wagner who I think would have been sacked normally after the second half of last season which was Mm. absolutely appalling but they've stuck with him because he's a realist because he understands the club having played there for a couple of years and because who else is going to come really I mean they're, they're stuck with a lot that they don't really want. I think one of the biggest issues for that team going into the game against Bayern, and like I said, I don't think it says the results is so much about the Bundesliga as it does about Schalke. I think if you'd have said the day before to a Schalke fan, you're going to lose 8-0 tomorrow night, they'd have gone, oh, yeah, maybe. I, I, I don't think there even would have been any shock, which is awful, really, because this is a club who, in non-corona times, are getting 60,000 in every week you know they're one of the authentically biggest clubs in world football and now they're at this point where and I know they've done some reasonable business in the transfer market this summer you think of Ved Adibisevic who we saw in the back end of the last season with Hertha Berlin can still score goals even at 36 they signed him on a deal worth 100,000 euros a year because he wants to play for them mm. so much. They'd signed Gonzalo Paciencia on a loan with an option to buy who I, th- I think is a good signing as well but you look at the team that started against Bayern and four loanees 
from last season, who, who, sorry, who were out on loan last season. So Fairman, Rudy, Bentaleb and Markut, all of whom the club wanted to get rid of, all of whom didn't really want to come back and expressed it in slightly different ways. And now they are back and in the team because they can't shift them and they've got no other options. That's really unhealthy for the dressing room, right? Yeah, and I just think you can you can almost simplify it with, with Schalke, I think. If you just go back and just look at their last five transfer windows and look at the players who've come in and the money they've spent, they've, they've, taken, they've taken so many punts that haven't worked out. There's so mm. many times they've spent decent fees by their standards and by and any big standards. wages. Yeah, on guys like Bentaleb, on guys like Konoplyanka, uh, so who they basically had to spent like ten million on him, and then they he was there for a few years and he was very bad, and they had to give him away to to Shakhtar for nothing. And Braylon Bolo, for for instance, who they they signed for what is it twenty million, and he's there and he doesn't work out, even though he has a lot to him, and they sell him for half that to Gladbach a couple of years down the line. I mean, you can't. Keep he looks take, like a world beater. <laughs> You can't keep taking financial hits like that. Stambouli, they spent a decent amount of money on. He's been okay, but he's not been great. And you just go through it, and window by window, they've taken a lot of punts. Very few have worked out. If you do that for half a decade, your squad is not going to look very good at the end of it. Uh, and even someone like, I don't want to single him out because he's a young man making his way in the game, and I think he'll have a decent career. But 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 looking at it now, they spent, what, $8 million to get Rabi Matondo in? Mm. Are Schalke a club who can spend eight million pounds on a player who doesn't, for the present, doesn't give them much? Who might mature into someone who will, but for now hasn't offered an awful lot. I mean, I think one of the worst things is the state they're in at the moment is probably one of their best players. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, just, I, I, you're, but, you're right. That's how, not a reflection on. But, but the point Lars is making, I, I think, the question that springs out from what he's making, the point he's making is that how could they get it wrong so many times in their signings? I, that I can't understand. You know, if, yeah. if the system sets up for you to, okay, you, you're going to make some mistakes along the way, but time after time after time after time, if you're getting the wrong signings and there's something wrong in, infrastructurally, isn't there with the club? It's the club's problem, isn't it? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think if you look at what they did in, in, in terms of, um, it's, it's about sporting directors as well, mm. really. And it's about the way the clubs run. You've got to stick with a philosophy. Like coaches, I generally believe like the, the, the um, stability of having the same coach for ages, unless you're having a period of unprecedented success, is overrated. Sack the coach. That's fine. <laughs> they're, they're like coaches come and go. But the reality is you've got to be on the same page upstairs. It, it can never be the coach dictating the signings because, of course, the coach has short-term aims, i.e. saving his own ass, which is fair enough. You know, every, everyone wants to work and everyone wants to continue in their job. But I, I think you look at the turnover of sporting directors upstairs as well. That's, that's a, a, a definite issue. As Lars says, there's no joined up thinking. I think as well with Schalke, as well as them from a sporting level, not being an administrative level, not being directed that well. I think you've got to ask questions about the structure of the club because you think of back to the start of last season and uh, the, the, the chairman, Clements Turnius said, made some racist comments and the fans want him to get fired. The media think he should be fired. Normal people think he should be fired. <laughs> Who doesn't <laughs> think he should be fired? Well, he, and, and, his missus. <laughs> and you know what he gets in the end? He gets a three-month suspension. You know who gave Clemens Turnier's his, his three-month suspension? Good old Clemens. <laughs> 
how can that happen? How can that happen? Mm. And I, th- I think that shows A, the dysfunction that's really deeply ingrained in the club. And B, I think from a public perspective, you know, you had Karl-Heinz Rummenigge saying before the game against um, uh, uh, um, uh, Schalke, he, he said, well, you know, it's good, for the, it's good for the Bundesliga if we have a strong Schalke. And I think generally people would feel, you know, they're, they're, they're a big club, you know, if they're not in constant crisis, if they're not the new Hamburg, as they're trying to desperately prove they are, then great. But I think if you look at the Turnius thing and the way the club, the institution handled that, that loses a lot of public sympathy and quite rightly so. Let's not forget the eight goals though. Let's look at it from, <laughs> from Bayern Munich's point of view. Let's give them a rewind. Well, d- d- indeed, because as much as Schalke have got problems and that was very evident on the pitch, Bayern Munich as sublime. You mentioned their three front players, Lars. Um, yeah. So we're talking Lewandowski, um, well, what can you say about him? He just keeps going on. Best number nine in the world. I mean, yeah. it has been for a while and there's not a lot more to add to that in the sort of traditional number nine type of way. In a, in, in a sort of, if you have to, to bet your house on a game tomorrow, if you'd want to have him or Mbappe up front, I mean, maybe you'd take Mbappe. But I guess in the sort of the way we think of number nines as someone who is a, a reference point in the, and, and, and a target man and a superb finisher and all of this, he, he offers you so much now. If you had, I think, a Champions League fantasy team that you were picking, it would be very tempting to pick both of them and just get a few shit defenders. <laughs> I, I, th- I think you'd be fine with that, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, you'd probably get away with it. Uh, Leroy Sane, though, uh, we already mentioned, uh, how how on earth did Man City let him go in any case? But he seems to have settled into uh, to Bayern Munich pretty quickly, actually. He looks like part of the team. He, he does, and I think it's so much easier to come into as we were saying, a stable institution, really, and a, a, a stable club. Of course, they're riding the crest of the Hansi Flick wave at the moment. But in terms of what they've got, we know what Gnabry can do, and he's absolutely at the peak of his powers at the moment. The issue for them, really, is in midfield. Because, of course, uh, Thiago Alcantara went, and you know it's something that they can live with from their first eleven. Because, as we said before, if... Everyone's fit. He doesn't start the Champions League final because of the way they're 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 going. I mean, they're they're essentially it's like gladiators, really, Bayern at the moment, isn't it? They're all massive bodybuilders. <laughs> Whereas yeah, now you've Goretzka's got Goretzka's lockdown workout routine. I think is something that well, needs Lewandowski to, the world looked, needs to know. Lewandowski up, looks yeah. a lot more pumped up. You know, I mean, physically, I I noticed that actually in the eight 0 that he looks a lot more like a he man, a superhero. Well, well, the thing is, it's, it's fine if guys like Lewandowski and Goretzka are, 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 are muscled up, but you think if you're Felipe Coutinho and you go back to to, to Barcelona and they think, hang on. We've literally <laughs> never had anyone this muscly at, at, the, at the club. I, 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 think, I think it's something else. I mean, Coutinho but, came back to Barcelona and was, hey, you guys, I've discovered this incredible thing they have in Germany. It's called a weights room. <laughs> or let, wild stuff. Let me in the team or I'll beat you up. Yeah. <laughs> that, that could be another thing, I suppose. I think the, the, the difficulty they've got and the difficulty that Hansi Flick is aware of, though, is that um, they need numbers in midfield. Because you've got Thiago out, you've got um, Javi Martinez, who looks as if he's going to be on the way. And he can still be very useful. He's had his injury problems. But I think people can sometimes overlook, when you think of all the stars that were at Bayern, if you go back to that treble winning season under Jupp Heynckes in 2012-2013, Javi Martinez was 
absolutely outstanding. Mm. And then if you go back to the the title win under Kovac, where they had that really good second half of the season, and obviously there were a few stumble trips by by Dortmund. Javi Martinez was arguably their best player in that as well. He showed up for for all the big games and he's been linked with the return to Athletic. Whatever happens, they need to get some players in to replace those because they're going to be playing a lot of games again. And, and also, as excited I am uh, by uh, Sanabri, is that what we're calling it? The Sanabri? Sanabri, yeah. Th- they're a bit short on depth uh, out, out on the flanks. They don't have a lot of options uh, on the winger sides. So I would imagine they'll try to bring in some options out wide, right? You don't. You don't think they're going to have to be pushed to play Alfonso Davies as a winger? I mean, no, no, he's fine to play. No, they're a bit. That, yeah, that, would, that would be too much. Well, yeah, you would. You'll put Thomas Miller out there or something. But you know, they don't have yeah. a lot of options. So I think a move for a winger is something that uh, could happen. And of course, uh, the, the the efforts to bring in Sergino Dest to have a more attacking option to yeah. have Arda at right back is something that's very logical. And that who knows that might be settled by the time this pod goes out. So let's not talk about it until. Uh, I what, what we'll talk about in a moment is your selections for game of the week in a mm. moment but and I know you've got a, a, a biggie for us yes. as well Lars with a history behind <laughs> it so I'm going to give it time but before that neither of you I'm just making it clear okay neither of you and it's the first game of the season all of that neither of you are going to be prepared to bet against Bayern Munich winning uh, the domestic title or the Champions League again this season? At this early stage, I will keep my Euros in my pocket. Yeah? I think, yeah. So you're not betting against them, in other I'm not, words. I'm not betting, yeah, exactly. I'm not, I'm not betting against them. <laughs> I mean, I, I would, But I'm not betting for them because you won't get anything back. I, would, I would, would have to check the odds, actually, because my, my concern would be their squad is actually quite thin now. The 11 is unbelievable. And they have a couple of players who can come in, but get bearing in hell, they're going to play an awful lot of games. They I mean, are. They're going to play so many games in, in the next couple of months. You know what's big as well? The fact that the scheduling dotting of the Champions League this year, post-COVID, if you look between mid-October and mid-December, there's a Champions League game virtually every week. Yeah. Now, of course, the teams are really going to get battered by that are the ones like Borussia Mönchengladbach, yeah. who are not used to playing in the Champions League all the time. But Lars is right. That could be an issue for Bayern. It's a big three weeks for them before the transfer deadline to get the numbers in that Hansi Flick has not been shy on saying he wants. Now, obviously, a name that came up and was relatively swiftly batted back was Mario Goetze. I mean, that would be an interesting twist. I mean, presumably, if you want depth, you want someone who's actually capable of playing some games and I, I'm not even sure there's really the suggestion that, that Gertz has got the level for, for, no. for, for Bayern or for any top team anymore we, ju- we just don't know but what I do think is something if you if you're looking for a reason to like Dortmund and of course there was that really great 3-0 win over Borussia Mönchengladbach at the, the, the weekend and you know we saw the, the dazzle of Bellingham and Rayner and your man Holland and uh, yeah, there we go, fist pump and um, <laughs> and Jaden Sancho is the fact that they have got that experience in Emre Can and Mats Hummels and Roman Burki and even more experience in Lucas Piszczek. But what they also have is a squad that is totally settled, which they settled a while ago, and they didn't have to do the Champions League, did they? I'm probably going to ask you the same question every single week in, on the continent. So keep your money in your pocket. I'll, I'll winkle it out at some point or other. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about your games of the week. 
Go Lars. Woohoo! Well, listen, I'm going to go completely against all established norms of the show. I'm going to pick a game of the week that is played on a Thursday. So, I mean, by the time you listen to this, the game may have taken place. I know Turn on your telly now. It's not really what is... I know it's not really the done thing. Uh, and, and I can have a second one in reserve. There are a bunch of good games this weekend. But I want to talk up uh, the fact that uh, that Milan uh, this evening have to play against uh, the mighty Buda Glimt uh, of Norway. And I have to introduce this because Buda Glimt are... Uh, they're not just a team from Norway. They're a team who are just doing amazing things domestically. They've uh, traditionally been a, a bit of a yo-yo side, I think it's fair to say. I mean, they're from a town of some 50,000 people pretty far up north. Uh, so they're not Is the town called Buda Glimt? Buda. Buda, <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, it's a bit of a long story how Glimt came into it. So I'm not <laughs> It's very to... controversial having a forward slash <laughs> yeah. in your name, isn't it? It used to be a football and skiing club, I believe, if I'm not correct. Right. Anyway, they, they've traditionally, they've had good seasons. I mean, they think they've won a, they, I might be mistaken, I think they've won a couple of cups possibly and they've finished second in the league. But in modern times, more of a yo-yo club. They've gotten relegated a couple of times and spent some time in the second tier. Um, but, but last season, being newly promoted, they kind of shocked everyone and nearly did a Norwegian in Leicester they finished second in the end uh, playing on the break you know exploiting a few other teams having a bad season finished second tremendous for a newly promoted team and we thought alright that's well done Bode Glimt but now you're going to get picked off in the transfer window and you're going to lose all your guys and, and they'll be back to normal next season and they lost some of their guys uh, but they got, got in new players and so far this season the second season syndrome, not so much. Played 18 games, won 16, drawn two and lost nil. So they scored 65 goals in those 18 games. I mean, they're just God. they're just blowing teams away and they're not playing on the counter anymore. They've, they're they pushing up high. Uh, they they're, they have their own passing game. They have, they have defenders bringing the ball out from defense on the ground, which is not often seen in the Norwegian league. I mean, we, we like a big hoof and, and they're just playing in a, a way we've hardly ever seen anything like this. And this is not from a team that has a lot of money behind them. It's not that with guys in the team who before have not looked that good. So it's more a triumph of good coaching. It's a triumph of getting the right people in the group together. And um, and they've been just completely extraordinary. And of course, now they're playing Ibrahimovic in Milan in the Champions League. And Is Ibra going to have his nonplussed face on? I mean, do you think? <laughs> Listen, realistically speaking, I mean, they, they probably, this is the cynic in me saying they'll probably get battered because listen, it's Ebra, it's Milan and they won't have played against anything like this. But I think it's just extraordinary that they get to play. Like just seeing them train at San Siro, seeing the pictures come in, it's, it's quite extraordinary. And uh, I mean, there are a couple of guys to, to look from this uh, look at from this team and I think the winger, uh, Jens Petelhaugen in particular, uh, is a 20-year-old is a wide player sort of who really should be in the Norway squad. I've no idea why he's not been selected he was going to move to Belgium to Saxe-Brugge uh, but the signing hadn't been finalised and then Covid happened and it was all put on hold and he in the end decided to not leave because he wanted to at least finish the season with Bode Glimt because uh, well, he's from Bode and it looks like they, yeah. they, they're on route for a historic title so, and, and him as a young man at the forefront of this team can, can perhaps do better than a, than a mid-table team in Belgium uh, after this year so, so watch uh, Bode Glimt uh, Milan tonight and I guess if not watch Juventus Roma or something at the weekend <laughs> <laughs> very committal to that second game <laughs> Andy um, I'm going to go for uh, Schalke versus Werder Bremen because it is already huge Schalke battered on the first day of the season Werder Bremen battered at home by Hertha on the first day of the season and for the first time we're seeing maybe the start of a fracture in the relationship between Frank Bauman the sporting director and the coach Florian Kofeld and quite rightly so because they were rubbish 
and Kofalt needs to find some answers quickly. It'll be interesting to see as well. This is the tea time game, the the big five thirty kickoff on 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 Saturday in Germany, and uh, five thirty UK time. Sorry, and I think what I'm really keen to see is will there be fans in? We don't know at the moment. They're leaving it till the last minute because, of course, you're allowed a maximum of 20% of capacity in the Bundesliga at the moment. Um, But even though they're due 11,000 at this game, it might be behind closed doors because the infection rate per thousand, I think it's 37 in Gelsenkirchen at the moment. If they get it to 35 or below, then they can let people in. But the, the, the response to people being allowed in obviously ultras groups are not particularly excited about the fact of coming into not full stadiums and some of them are not going at the moment they're certainly not doing uh, choreographies for example a, a lot of them but there's been a complaint like Borussia Mönchengladbach who are, are, are playing at home for the first time this weekend they've got 10,000 tickets on sale not sold all of them and you may ask why well obviously the pushback from some ultras, ultra groups is part of that but also because of the, the, the fact that um, the seating formations changed, you can't get your normal seat. Lots of people can't sit next to their friends and family, which is a huge part of it. And, you know, fans are saying, well, what's the point of going? I can't sit with my mates. So mm-hmm. it's not a trial period in Germany at the moment. It's a challenge, obviously, that exists all over Europe. But it'd be interesting to, to see how it evolves. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.